0: All right, let's open up to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. The sermon today is kind of like vegetable soup. We've got a little bit here, a little bit there, and we're going to kind of throw it all in. And uh, You know, when you do that, you're kind of, "Uh, is it going to come out? Well, Lord willing, we look at all this together this morning. Acts 2 that we've already read, Matthew 28, and we'll we'll look at Romans 6 as well. And I pray that the Lord bless uh, the preaching of His Word this morning. I'm going to read Matthew 28. We'll start in 16 and read through the end of the chapter, just uh, four or five verses there. I'll read and then a short prayer to follow. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Bow with me. Father, would you be gracious to us in this moment? Reveal yourself and your truth. Enliven hearts, take out the cold, stony hearts and put in lively, beating hearts of flesh. Revive us to your truth and your glory and give us life everlasting through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So in our scripture reading from Acts 2 that I looked at earlier, we saw... What was the beginning of the new testament church and if you've been been in sunday school the last two sundays we've been there quite a bit we saw the beginning of the new testament church we saw the first local church like we have here a gathering of saints at at a at a place a specific place peter preached the first gospel sermon after christ had died risen and ascended into heaven Uh, The Holy Spirit moved and convicted hearers that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the Chosen One, the Messiah. They heard it. Their hearts, um, uh, they they were pierced at the hearts. They believed. They were baptized and they joined the body, which at that time was a group of 120 or so. And then on that day, thousands were added to the church, to the body of Christ. Now, from that day until now, three distinct things take place in biblical churches across the world. Three things from that day until now. Three distinct things that mark a biblical church. Number one, what I hope we're doing right now, and that's the right preaching of the word... Number two, the practice of baptism. And number three, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now today is a special day because we're doing all three. It doesn't always happen this way. It's not happened since we've been here the last year or so. We are acting in the full capacity of a biblical church today. Today is... Very special. So we're going to step out of Hebrews. And we're going to look and focus on baptism. In a very broad sense. In a very broad sense. And what I want you to have in the back of your mind as we talk about this. Is your baptism. If you have been baptized. I want you to understand your baptism i want you to know why how when and what i want you to walk away thinking about your baptism because that is one of its main purposes is to be A point in your life that you can always look back and remember, be reminded of who you once were, what Christ has done for you, and what he is making you. So that's the things we're going to talk about. Understanding your baptism, who's baptized, when are you baptized, why are you baptized, and what is it telling us? All right, so we start in Matthew 28. We're going to look in Acts a couple times. We're going to look in Romans, and if we get to it, 1 Corinthians. So let's begin with the easier ones. Who is baptized? Of course, you know I I made this one difficult, actually. Um, Who is baptized? Look at Matthew 28, verse 19, and tell me who is baptized. Go, therefore, and make disciples... Of all nations. But before we answer that question. Look at verse 16 and see who he is speaking to. The eleven disciples. He tells the eleven disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What is the next thing? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, the simple answer Who is to be baptized? Disciples. Disciples are to be baptized. Now, hang with me for a second or a few minutes because there's a concern. There's a concern that I have and many others have that we or people call themselves Christians, but they aren't actually disciples you can call yourself a christian and not be an actual disciple do you know what that is that might look like a certain person in the bible who i heard someone say it judas this is my concern in this moment as we understand who is baptized When we talk about disciples being baptized, that to call yourself a Christian isn't necessarily good enough. But I want you to know if you are a disciple, a disciple of Jesus, because a disciple of Jesus is, guess what, a Christian. So let's think about this for just a second. Here's how I want to define who a disciple is. What they look like. What they do. Three things. They trust Jesus. They follow Jesus. They learn from Jesus. And when you put all of these together. Guess what happens? They are becoming like Jesus. I cannot stress to you. The importance of that statement. I cannot ex- uh, sh- ex- explain Expressed to you and stress to you enough that a disciple is one who is becoming like Jesus. If you are not becoming like Jesus, you're not trusting Him, you're not following Him, you're not learning from Him, you're not a Christian. I want us to make sure we realize this. That as someone today is going to be baptized, they're going to make a profession of faith and be baptized and will walk away calling themselves a Christian. But if that is the only thing that you have to point at to say that you are Christian, you are in trouble. Because a Christian is a life practice of trusting Jesus, following Jesus, and learning from him. So let me just help you think about these three things really quickly. To trust in Jesus, we could also say is to believe in him. Not not to believe in him like you believe in Santa Claus, like he exists, but to trust and believe in who he is, And what he does, and what he does specifically for you, like you trust in a parachute, you depend upon it, like you trust in a parent. But the magnitude of what you are trusting in Christ is infinitely greater than anything else that you can trust in. A disciple is one who believes in Jesus so much that he trusts or she trusts in him. And when you trust in that, you begin to live by that. And that's why one who trusts in Jesus builds their life on the words of Jesus. A disciple builds their lives on the words of Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is in trusting them, they have a desire to follow him. To follow him through life to where? Unto death. To eternity. Why? Because he is so trustworthy. Why does someone want to follow someone? Is because that person is so trustworthy. And infinitely more is Christ trustworthy than anyone that you know. He's the only one who knows how to get you out of this world alive. Even through death. He's the only one. A disciple trusts Jesus, follows Jesus. And when you do those two things, you cannot help but to learn from him. And this is the definition of a disciple. I want you guys to understand this. A disciple in its simplest form is a learner. So if we call ourselves Christian Yet we are not learning from Jesus. By definition, we cannot be disciples of Jesus, which then in connection means we cannot claim the name of Christian. What what is Christian? What is that word made of Christ? If we are not be uh, if we're not learning from following and trusting Christ, then Christian is not our name nor our label. I I want us to look at Ephesians 4 because I want you to see the significance of learning. Ephesians 4, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you don't, grab one in front of you in the pew and open it up to Ephesians 4. Coming to church without your Bible is like going to the dinner table without a, a knife and a fork. You need it. Bring your Bible. Ephesians four, verse 17. Listen and listen for those words. Learn, mind, understand, ignorance. Listen for these words. This is a definition of a disciple. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must, not, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensualities, meaning you're guided by what you what you sense. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here it is. Listen, verse 20. and to put off the new self or to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness and that's the summation of it all being made like Christ a disciple trusts Jesus follow Jesus learns from Jesus and all those things are becoming like Jesus put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness where do you find true righteousness and holiness but in Christ in Christ alone a disciple trusts follows learns and is becoming like Jesus and a disciple is baptized hear me dear people if you call yourself a christian this morning And you don't fit that description. There's two explanations. I'll give you the worst one first. And I've already mentioned it. You are no Christian. You're still in your sins. You're... Led by your own passion and desires. Not by the words of Christ. You are a child of wrath. Not a child of God. And you expect judgment. Not eternal joy. That's at worst. At best if you don't fit the description of a disciple. At best you are ignorant in your understanding of what it is to be a Christian. You do not have an understanding of What it is to be God's child, a disciple of Jesus. But here is the good news. And that's the beauty of Christianity. Is there is always good news. If you are no Christian, believe in Christ, repent of your sins, be born again and become a child of God. If you lack ignorance... Repent of your ignorance, seek the truth in scriptures, be forgiven, and be made more like Christ. And be a disciple. And if you are a disciple, be baptized. Because that is who is supposed to be baptized. Disciples. Now, that was one of the longer ones. The next one. That was who. Now, when. This one's really easy. When should you be baptized? Well, based on what he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. OK, when you become a disciple, be baptized. That's what happened in Acts 2, right? They were pierced at the heart. They said, Peter, what do we got to do now? What did he tell them? Be baptized. That was the first thing that they had to do. Be baptized. In Acts 8, we see a similar pattern, a preaching of the word, a hearing of the word, faith and belief. And then that is followed with baptism. In Acts 8, we have um, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian is in his little he's in his little car and he's reading Isaiah and he has no idea what he's reading. Isaiah is gibberish to him. He does not know who it's talking about. And Philip shows up and he sits next to uh, to the Ethiopian and he says in verse thirty four about the Ethiopian. Ask Philip about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures, and he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the gospel. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, the Ethiopian said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and and he baptized him. He heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. He believed and therefore he followed in obedience and was baptized. And if you look at Acts 16, same pattern. The uh, uh, Philippian jailer. Verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Judgment upon their sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all were in his household. And he took them the same hour of the night. Washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. When? When you believe. When you become a disciple, you could see it in in Paul as well and then other scenarios in Acts where there is belief and then baptism. Belief and then baptism. Baptized into the body of Christ. Simple. When? When you become a disciple after you believe. Number three. Why? why were you baptized why should you be baptized remember i want to stop you again and make you remember your baptism did you go into the water think about that remember that day why were you baptized number one Back to Matthew 28 and we don't have to look at it it's very it's very obvious because Jesus told you to be He commanded you to be dis, uh, to be baptized go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them there was no there was no option Jesus said it we do it now you might be like well oh, that's a pretty silly way to live. Well, yeah, if we're not talking about the Son of God. When God speaks, we obey. Parents, how many times do your kids, you give them a command and they say, what? Why? And what's your response? Because I said so. Now, is that always the best response? No. But can God stand here before his creation And don't think of that as in you're entitled to an explanation. You are the creature, not the creator. And he says this, 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 and this. The clay does not say to the potter why. But it says, yes, Lord. Jesus commands that disciples be baptized. Go and make disciples baptizing them now. Two quick dangers here I want to lay out. And they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Some people don't think they have to be baptized because they actually understand their Bible. Hang with me here. There are some people who say I don't have to be baptized because they correctly understand their Bible. Salvation Justification before God is by faith in Jesus and Him alone. You see the thief on the cross is hanging, is yelling at Jesus and yelling at the people, and then something happens, and he is convicted and convinced and believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Does he have it all figured out? No, he doesn't. But he knows that Jesus is innocent And he knows that he has a kingdom. And he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He did not say, can we pause this crucifixion? Let's get everybody down. We're going to baptize this guy because he's got to get baptized in order for him to enter into paradise with me once we all die. That did not happen. Salvation is not an act of works. It is not something that you are doing, but it is by grace through faith alone so that you might not boast. It is a gift given to us. And so that person who truly understands that right doctrine of of salvation will say, the thief didn't have to get baptized, so I don't have to get baptized. Well, you're wrong. He's wrong. That person's wrong. We, we, we spoke about it a little, a little bit this morning in Sunday school. Let's not forget the definition of a disciple. A disciple trusts Jesus, follows Jesus, learns from Jesus. And all of those things, you will find obedience to Jesus. And if he has commanded us to be baptized, it is essential for you. It is essential for you. And if you are unwilling to obey Jesus' simple command to be baptized, you might be showing that you are no disciple. The other danger here. Is for us to say, yes, Jesus says I must be baptized. I believe I've been baptized. I'll see y'all in about six months. I don't need church. I don't need the Bible, I don't need, and you might not even be saying this out loud or in, in, in your head. You're just living a life because you think you've got assurance because you said you believe and you obeyed Jesus and got baptized. So you have a free pass to how you live because you obeyed Jesus in one thing. You're, you're in just as much trouble as a person who is unwilling to get baptized because you're in still in disobedience. Don't fall into those two traps. Don't fall into those two traps. Why should you be baptized? Because Jesus said so. And one last reason why you should be baptized is because you are publicly identifying with Jesus. You are publicly identifying with Jesus. It is your proclamation to these people, the body of Christ. It's your proclamation to the people that you would encounter throughout your your days, your, your weeks, your months, your lives. And you say... By your baptism I am with him. I am with Jesus. Now, this really starts to run into the last thing. This really starts to run in the last thing. What does baptism tell us? Baptism makes the unseen visible baptism makes the unseen seen it is number one it is an outward expression of an inward reality if you have cancer no one knows it until you tell them right it's not something that you can see you outwardly express with your words your disease, or even potentially your emotion, or whatever is going on on the inside, it is happening internally, and no one knows it but you until you outwardly express it. This is baptism, it is an outward expression of what has taken place already on the inside. When disciples are made, they are made by the hand of God. It's very important. He- hear me. Go, Disciples, go and make disciples. That kind of gives us this sense of, oh, let's get our tools, let's get everything figured out, and we're going to go make them ourselves. No. When God tells a disciple to go make a disciple, he's telling them to go and obey and let me work. Let me convict and convince. Let me change, take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. When disciples are made, they are made supernaturally. No one is here because they decided veganism wasn't the way of life. They tried to work it out really well. I think we'll try this God thing and we'll see how it works. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about the God of the universe making you into something that you were not. Doesn't exist. Exists. In the same way God created the moon and the stars and the earth and everything in it, he makes you a Christian. The same power. It is supernatural and it is unseen. Because it is spiritual. There's an inward change when a disciple is made. External features, you don't change your hair color. You don't, you don't change the way you know your earlobes, they're either attached to your head or they're not. These things are not bothered, but who you are internally, who you truly are, your spirit, your soul, your heart. That is changed. The heart and the affections, the mind and your thoughts, your will and your desires, these are all affected when God makes you into a disciple. These things cannot be seen, but baptism brings these things to the surface. Baptism says, look at what God has done. Baptism says, I once was, and now I am. Flip over to Romans 6. And this is where we're going to finish up. Remember, we're on we're the what. What does baptism tell us? What does it say? And remember, we're talking about your baptism. Romans 6. I want to preface this. I want to preface before I read this with this statement. Not are you, you're not just ch- changed when God makes you into a disciple you're not just made different like you've you've become a better you it is so true you are changed a new heart new mind new will but something there's a reason why those things happen and it's something that you cannot see and it's that you are joined united Brought into the Son of God. You are connected to Jesus Christ himself. And Romans 6, 1 through 6 helps us to see this union, this connection with the Son of God. For those who are made disciples. For those who, have, who believe and who have been born again. Look, at, look what he says. And he's speaking about a follower of Christ. He's speaking about a disciple. What shall we say then? Are we Christians, disciples, to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Here, here's the invisible How can we who died to sin still live in it? You died to sin. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him. By baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, we could sit there and want from those four verses and just go and go and go. But the summation is in these next few verses. And I just want us to really see these next few verses. For if we have been united with him, with Jesus, in a death, in a death like his, how did he die? He was crucified. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Christian, do you did you were you hung on a cross? Were you did you have nails pierced through your hands and your feet? No, 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 no. But guess what? If you are to follow me. Take up your cross. Die to self. Be crucified. And what happens when you die? You're buried. To be no more. The old self gone away. United with him into death. Buried with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, let me stop. Do you have that frame of mind? Disciple? Christian? Do you have the frame of mind that your body of sin is nothing? Or do you live life as if you don't care about sin? For one who has died with Christ has been set free from sin. If we still live in it, we will die. We will die not once, but twice. If you do not, if you are a disciple of Christ and you say you have a relationship with Christ, if your relationship with sin has not changed, you have no relationship with Christ. You evaluate, evaluate your love of Christ by looking at how much you hate your sin. Look at verse 8. It's not just enough that we die to sin, that we're united in his death. But if we have died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over us. I told you he's the only one that can get you out of this alive. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That that sentence ought to bring conviction to your heart. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Back in verse 4, he says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we're going to go back. You've been thinking about the day you were baptized. You've been thinking about that day you went in the water. What was it telling you? What did it tell others? What is it supposed to remind you of? When you went down into that water. It was telling you that you are united to Christ in his death. Buried. It was crucified. And we have buried it. And when that, when they raised you out of that water, they didn't raise up that old body. They didn't raise up that sinful self. In your baptism, it was telling you and telling the others that you have been changed. That you have been given a new life a new heart, a new mind, a new will. You don't have the desires, the affections and the love for the things of the past, but you now have desires and will and a heart for the things of Christ. That's what your baptism told you. That's what your baptism was telling other people. Now, there's one I don't know if there's much things worse than somebody committing adultery with a ring on. But the thing that is worse is a is a professing Christian who has been baptized and who is in love with the world. That is adultery to God. That is hypocrisy that cannot be touched. Understand, you said something that day that you were baptized. You were telling yourself The body of Christ and God, that you are united to Christ in his death, his burial and his resurrection. And God has made you to walk new. This is what your baptism says. And so I I just I want to ask you to remember your baptism today. I want you to think about it. I want you to be reminded of what it's what it says why it happened. But I also want you to think about does your life is your life worthy of that which you said it was called to when you were baptized. Does your life live up to being raised from the dead? Does your life live up to pronouncing that you and your old self was crucified with Christ. And that it is no longer you who lives. But Christ who lives in you. Can you honestly tell others. That it is not you who are alive. But it's Christ who lives in you. As I said already. If you find yourself. Where you're not so sure the good news is, is there is repentance to be had. There is mourning to be had. There is forgiveness to be given. And the only place to do it is at the feet of Christ, a crucified Christ. Turn from your sin. Turn from the world. Remember your baptism. Remember Christ and what he has raised you to. Live for his glory. Follow him. Trust him. Obey him. Become like him. This is your calling, Christian. This is your duty, disciple. And if you've got any questions about that, let's talk. If you don't understand, if you're not sure, let's talk. If you haven't been baptized and the Lord is pressing upon you, then let's talk. If you want to confess that you have not lived a life worthy of your what your baptism meant, let's talk. But first you must go to the Lord and seek forgiveness. let's go to the lord in prayer father god may you hear our prayers may you hear our response god may you know our hearts may you search us out and show us any uh any grievous ways in us god would you remind us of the forgiveness that we have in christ would you remind us that Even in our failures, we have Christ who is perfect, our great high priest. God, remind us that he stands at the throne of God interceding for us, and that is what he lives for. Remind us of our eternal hope and security in the loving hands of Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to